And uh, when I was five, my dad decided to move to Chattanooga, and I remember I cried all the way down the Okoye River. I don't want to leave Ducktown. Ducktown's heaven. It was Disney World before Disney existed. It's a magnificent place. 724 people at that time. We had one of everything. One of everything. Beautiful streets, street lamps, concrete sidewalks. In the middle of the Appalachian Mountains, 13 copper mines. Everybody worked in the mines, on the mines, or for the mines. We had the one drugstore, one grocery store, one company store. We had one dentist shop, one barber shop, one doctor's office, one garage. We had one, it was one of everything. And then the jail was on one end of the town and the church was on the other. Make up your mind. I remember, I remember as we were going down the river road as I was five and dad was, we were going to Chattanooga to live and I cried. I thought, I don't want to leave Ducktown. He said, son, he said, Ducktown is a good place to be from. Of course, I didn't understand at age five. What? You don't want to be here. You want to be from here. I said, I don't get that. Of course, now I realize what he was saying, you know, better opportunity somewhere else. But I do own two acres up there now. Nothing sitting on it yet, but I'm, I'm there. I'm planted. And I love Tennessee. I love this state. I think uh, I used to tell people when I went to Oklahoma, and especially Texas, you know, Texans hate Okies. So when I go down there, I said, you know, if it weren't for us Tennesseans, you'd be in Mexico right now. <laughs> so, hush up. There he is. God bless America. Y'all planted a good one. Well, still a little rehearsal here. We're going to try to do this in one hour here and get you out of here to a timely manner tonight. Doesn't take a lot of stuff. You go to church service, sit for an hour, hour and a half, usually you're going to get one good thing. You'll hear one good thing. You're going to hear a lot of things, but there's one thing that'll hit you. You know, you'll just sit there, oh, that's good, that's good. That's all right. And all of a sudden, boom, like, whoa. Oh, I needed that. And all of a sudden, you realize something. If you don't get around the Word of God, the people of God, you don't grow. If you stop growing, you're going backwards. You've got to move forward. Now, I love my marriage, and I realized something. Uh, my wife and I were, I thought we were just like, and I realized, no, we're total opposites, and we've got to learn how to adjust to that. So that's why we told all the funny stories last night. Men and women are very different on purpose by God's design to work together. I have things you don't have. I know things you don't know. Let's share. Let's share something. We talked about communication. I've got to learn how to talk without starting a war. All wars start with words. All divorces start with words. All affairs start with words. Life and death in the power of the tongue. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Let's set ministers of grace. So think before you open your mouth. I know sometimes thoughts will be there and say, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good. No, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. Because it's not good. It just sounds good at the moment. And so be slow to speak. Slow to speak. Quick to hear. Two ears, one mouth. It's a math thing. So when your spouse is saying something you don't like, just shut your mouth. And, hmm. Hmm. Praise God. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Nobody's ever shared that with me before. <laughs> You must really love me. But you've got to learn how to talk, but then talk about what? So that's what we're going to try to do tonight because we're talking about money because you're going to need a chunk of it. Chunk of money, chunk of, chunk of money. Now, God's going to give you a chunk of money if you'll do the right thing. God's said we're already, our needs are already met. And I guarantee if we had time, we could all give you a piece of paper. Please list your needs tonight. God's at the back door, and if you'll hand them that list, they'll be taken care of when we get home. I guarantee you could fill up some paper, couldn't you? I mean, really, if you thought, Jesus is here tonight, he's out there drinking coffee, and when the service is over, he just wants you to hand your needs to him, and he'll have it taken care of before you get to the house. Could you fill up some paper? I mean, you wouldn't care what I said. Shut up, i got to write some. <laughs> well, throughout the New Testament, Jesus says, I know what you need 
before you ask, because I'm all-knowing, I'm God. But I need you to ask. Again, I want to say prayer is a legal situation. Heaven moves when I pray. God, he'll move. But he needs me to ask. And so, Denise and I learned that we're opposites. We're going to have to start talking because what I'm thinking evidently is not what you're thinking. And when I say something and I say it, what I thought I said is not what you heard. So we need to talk a lot. <laughs> and so tonight, if we can do this very methodically, if I could just see you one more time in life, I could save your life by saying this. If you're married, the greatest thing you'll ever do is get a blank piece of paper. Both of you sit down for 30 minutes and write out your desires for your life. You're going to shock each other. You're going to shock yourself. If you can have one shot for the rest of your life, now God, if I never get to ask another thing right now, I sure would like to have these things happen. I sure would like to have these things happen. Now, some would be generic. Now, would I like to live a long, healthy life? I don't want to live a short, sick life. I'd like to live a long, healthy life. I'll ask for that. I'd like to live a happy life. I've laughed and I've cried. Laughing's better. It just is. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Lord, I want to live a long, joyful, prosperous. I don't want to live broke all my life. I want to be blessed so I can be a blessing. I want to know many, and I can get just some generic things, but then I'm going to start getting specific about me and my family and where we live and about our, about our children, you know. Uh, like I said, my dad got so upset and we started having kids close together. He said, I don't care how many you have, just have them four years apart. And so I knew that was a real sore point with my dad coming up in poverty like my family did and us coming out of it basically. You know, we were the first ones. My, I am the first one of 12 aunts and uncles. I am the first one in my family, and I'm not the aunts and uncles. I'm the first you know, cousin to them, to get a new house. Nobody in my family ever owned a new house, ever. My family rented. All my family rented. Most of my wife's family still rent. Her aunt up in Michigan, they're going to go see here in a couple of days. They rented their whole life. She's in her 90s. They believe in renting. We don't want to own nothing. We rent something. And so they have no concept of ownership and property and anything. And so we were the first one to own a new I was the first one to buy a new vehicle. Now, it wasn't a big deal. It was a 1972 Chevrolet short bed pickup truck, $2,349 total, and bought it right off the truck. And no air conditioning, roll-up windows, one-seater, but it was brand new. I got to the house that evening in front of my dad's $55 a month rent house on Middle Valley Road in Hickson, Tennessee, and he called all the relatives. They all came. <laughs> and I let down the bed of my truck and opened up the doors, and people stood around it like a Chevrolet commercial smiling and drinking coca-cola look at there joe allen got him a new truck Woo! <laughs> yeah it was something just and i know you're laughing you think it's funny but it was trying to break that curse of poverty that had been on our family forever and i realized you know every family has weaknesses every family got different weaknesses. there are certain devils that try to get in every family now we don't teach much on demons in the church because it's just not a good thing to do i'm making fun of that anyhow Jesus spent a third of his ministry healing people. One third of all the stories in the Bible in the New Testament about him healing somebody. And we teach on healing. That can be controversial. We do teach on healing. We believe in healing. Lay hands on the sick, anoint people with oil, have prayer lines. Well, Jesus spent a third of his ministry casting out devils. Spent the same amount of scriptures in the New Testament of casting out devils as he did healing people. We, shh, shh. Shh. We don't want to stir that water casting out devils. Dear God, don't even talk about that. We're going to lay some hands on sick people. We're not casting nothing nowhere. The guy that got me spirit-filled, Bill Clark, <laughs> Olin Matheson, 
He brought me in. He's the new boss. I already, I, I've worked my way up from the bottom, from the bottom, from janitor to become a lab technician. Steve Redline hired me, worked for NASA. And I was on a non-degree technician that ever hired because I'd run all the machinery. Well, he left, go back to NASA, and we hired a new guy named Bill Clark. And he was supposed to be a till of the hun. He's the hatchet man. Came from Sedalia, Missouri. Bill Clark's coming. He's the hatchet man. He comes to clean stuff up. Oh, now we don't know him. We just heard about him. He's the hatchet man for the corporation. He comes and fires and cleans out. Well, dear God, the devil's coming to be our boss. <laughs> well, he came in, and the first day he came in, I'll forget, I was working day shift. I was doing some testing, some tensile testing on a big piece of cable for TVA, big machine against the wall. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, the door opens, and lab's immaculate. Everything's white floor, white walls, stainless steel. I see him come in, and I thought, uh-oh, this is him. Oh, man, this is him. It's the new boss. Oh, mercy. He's coming toward me, and he's got this stupid grin on his face, like, I know something you don't know. I thought, oh, dear God, here it comes. So he walks up. Well, he got the personnel files. He's, he knew all of our names, all 11 technicians, and he knew our names, and he had our, you know, our pictures in our file. Sticks his hand out. I've never met the guy. Sticks, hey, Joe. Stick. So I'm going to shake hands with him. First words out of his mouth, the hatchet man, my new boss. First words out of his mouth. Joe, how are things between you and the Lord? Now, we don't talk about the Lord at work unless we're using his name in vain. I'm just telling you how it was. And so when he said that, I thought, well, he's an evil hatchet man from the devil in the pit of hell. And he wants to know how things between me and the Lord. And it's some sort of sarcastic deal. And I said, I don't know. I've not talked to him lately. <laughs> I'm not making that up. It's exactly what I said. Well, he gripped my hand real tight, grinning right in my face. Well, don't worry, son. You're going to. You're going to. I thought, he just threatened me. He's going to fire me. Well, the next day, he begins to call all the technicians who went to his office. And he had a full glass door in his office, and he calls us in one at a time. Oh, here it is. We're getting fired. I finally get a decent job and a white shirt and a nice pair of starch pants, working in a good place, making good money. I'm going to get fired. I'm just expecting it, you know. I'm a backslidden Baptist at the time. I don't know nothing. So every time the guy would come out that he's talking to, we'd say, hey, what's he talking? And he, he wouldn't, the technician, they wouldn't talk to us. He's sitting them out on the floor. He's not allowed to come in and talk to the, those of us waiting. I thought, well, mm-mm-mm. So finally, Joe, it's your turn. So, yeah, here we go. So I walk in the office. He's sitting behind his desk with that stupid grin on his face. I said, have a seat, Joe. I shut, he said, shut the door. And I shut the door, and I had a seat looking right at him. <laughs> said, and so he's got this stupid grin. Said, well, here it goes. He's going to fire me. Get my paycheck. Get out of here. Next words out of his mouth. Second sentence besides how things between you, Lord. Here's the first statement in his mouth. Then August. He said, Joe, are you a believer? Now, this is the senior, this is the senior engineer for Olin Matheson, hatchet man. Are you a believer? Am I what? Are you a believer? In what? Are you a Christian? I'm a Baptist. All Baptists are Christians. Got that stupid grin on his face, and he had this little bitty lime green pocket Bible. He said, well, I'm a believer. I said, all right, good. That's good. I have no idea. I have no idea where this conversation is going. He said, well, my Bible says in the book of Mark, these signs shall follow them that believe. He said, they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So I've laid hands on sick people and seen them get well. You ever laid your hands on any sick people and seen them get well? No, I don't like sick people. I don't get around them. He said, my Bible says that 
These signs shall follow them to believe they shall cast out devils. So I've cast the devil out of people. You ever cast the devil out of anybody? No, sir, I never ain't seen a devil. And then he said, and these signs shall follow them to believe they shall speak with new tongues. So I speak in tongues. You speak in tongues? You mean like a Pentecostal? <laughs> he said, yeah. No, I'm a Baptist. We don't do that. <laughs> and he's smiling the whole time. And according to my Bible, you're not a believer. You're going to hell. That'll be all. <laughs> and that's all he said. He just stared at me. So I went out, walked out on the floor. And the other thing said, what did he tell you? Told me I was going to hell. He told us we're going to hell. He can't do that. What kind of nut is he? Well, long story short, we all got saved and spirit-filled. And uh, <laughs> I shortened the testimony up, but it, it happened. And then they shut the plant down. We all got laid off. But that's another story within itself, too. God has a plan for our life. It's not always in a straight line. One door shuts, but another door opens up, or God lied. I open doors no man can shut. I shut doors no man can open. I order your steps and direct your paths, guide you in all truth. Just because the birds are dropping bread one day don't mean they're going to drop it tomorrow. Manna won't fall forever and the creek won't run forever. That doesn't mean I'm not with you. It's time to go somewhere if i got something else in mind. I'm going to bless you and be with you. So I realized once Denise and I started reeling about the Word of God, who we are. I'm a lover leader provider. She's a help me to manage and a lover. You know, we have different needs. You know, I, my needs are different. Her needs. We're trying to we're trying to work on it. Trying to walk, you know, in love toward one another. And you know, we'd mess up. I mean, there are no perfect people. I realized early, if I'm, if, you know, if it's based on me not messing up, I'm going to hell for sure because I don't seem to get a good 25 run without doing at least one thing stupid. But I learned that the righteous fall seven times a day and they get back up. We're not the perfect people. We're the getting back up people. As we're going through this process talking to one another, I realize, you know, I'm tired of talking after the fact. I'm learning how to talk, not fight, not holler, scream, and cuss, and throw stuff and tell you like your mother. I'm learning. But what I'd really like to do is get ahead of the, get ahead of the curve. And so finally we went to just a financial seminar at our local church. I'd never been to a financial seminar. Why would I go to one? My daddy never went to one. My mother never been to one. My in-laws never been to one. My cousins and brothers said they'd never been to one. Why would I go to one? Well, because the economy's changed. The industrial age had died. Nobody told us that. It died in the 80s. It, they didn't put it in the paper, but it died. Where everybody grew up, my father, my father, I worked for the same company for 30 years. Drove to the same parking lot, punched in at the same gate, retired from that same plant. It was a great job. DuPont Nylon Company in Chattanooga. Over 7,000 employees. Full benefits, full medical, full health. We all had dental. It was incredible. Great retirement. My mom still gets a great retirement check. My dad's passed away 20 years, 20 years ago, and DuPont sends a big check every month. And God bless DuPont. But DuPont, that had 7,000 employees when my dad worked there, has less than 700. They actually, it's less than 600 now. All automated and outsourced, still make nylon or do Dacron stuff. But everything changed. We got automated. The industrial age died. The information age was born. Money's still here. It's just not in one place very long. It's moving. And so people gripped. I remember, oh, my gosh, the layoffs. You know, General Motors is laying off and Ford laying off and combustion laying off. Laying off. I said, well, my Bible said in Luke 17, until Jesus comes, there will be seed time and harvest. People will be eating, drinking, marrying, giving a marriage, buying, selling, building, and planting. Now, Jesus said that, and he doesn't lie, which means until he comes to get me, there will be an economy. 
There will be. Now, I don't mean to be ugly about this, and I said it when I was here last summer. There may be a 10% unemployment rate. That means 90% of people have a job. If that was a stock, I'd buy a boatload of it. Well, we have 10% unemployment. My God. My God. How much? 10? Dear God. Oh, Father in heaven. Well, it was good at 5. We didn't worry about the 5% unemployment, but we were really worried about the 10%. When it was 5%, it never even made the news. Nobody ever talked about the 5% didn't have a job, but 10%, oh, my God, the world's collapsing. We weren't worried about 5% didn't have a job, but 10%, oh, Jesus, that's so bad. And I got to thinking about it. Well, you know, if there's 10% of the people not working, that means 90% are. Let me say it real slow. If 10% don't have a job, 90% do. That's good. That's real good. But y'all. The devil works with words. You understand that? You got to read Psalm 91. You got to read where a thousand may fall here, 10,000 may fall here. It will not come near me. Somebody's got to be determined to take a stand. I can't afford to go broke. I just can't. I would, but I can't afford to. I just can't. I've been laid off twice. Burnt wood in a barrel for 30 minutes to protest. Carried a sign that somebody made. Stood right outside that gate. Uh, manufacturer's Road in Chattanooga stood right there. Those guys, And we're burning that wood. And, like, and I knew when I started about 30 minutes, I knew this is stupid. <laughs> if I go home and tell them, what'd you do today? And we burned some wood. It was an incredible day. That won't go good at home. So I put my sign in the barrel, and I went to find the unemployment office that I'd never been to in my life. And I went into the unemployment office, and I said, I need a job. And they said, well, good, come on in. Here, we're going to let you take a test. I had no concept what this was about. I said, well, what? We're going to give you a test. I said, no, I don't need a test. I need a job. Well, we can't give you a job if you take a test. No, trust me, I'll take any job you got. I don't need to take a test. I'm, whatever you got on the buffet, I'll eat. It's fine. And so, no, I had to take the test. And I took the test, and this heathen came out after I took that test, about 30 minutes. <laughs> he said, well, Mr. McGee, we recommend you look for a job in one of these three areas. Stay away from everything else. Now, that sounds negative, but I was thrilled when I heard that. For the first time in my life, somebody, a heathen with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, told me there are three things I could be good at. Nobody ever told me about anything I could be good at. My football coach, I thought I was good at it, but he always told me what I wasn't good at. My wrestling coach, I thought I was good at that, man, but he always told me what I wasn't good at. I like baseball. I was pretty good. I was a good right fielder. I could hit good. But he always told me what I wasn't good at. My parents told me what I wasn't going to become, how I never mounted anything sometimes. You know, you just always said nobody ever told you anything good. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. He uses humans to verbally beat the dog's night out of you from the minute you come out of the womb so you won't attempt anything. Oh, that's good. Now, I realize something. I've got to change the way I think because the world is the cheerleader from hell. You're going down. <laughs> We're all going down. Of course, you get to feeling bad enough, you'll move over to Arkansas and get you some beef jerky and live in a commune. Well, they're over there. They're waiting on Jesus to come get them. They're going to be really disappointed when he gets here because he's going to be mad. Just a thought. 
So Denise and I said, we better start planning something. So that when all the scriptures are planning, we're talking about Sunday. So we sit down every year. We do it once a year. Now, we talk about in the middle of the year every quarter, but January's the big one. We come out of the holidays. You should do it during Christmas. It didn't work good. Too much going on. But first of the year, okay, Christmas is over. The tree's been put up. The lights are off the house. It's looking kind of dull and bare. We need some hope. Where are we going this year? Well, first of all, what do we need? So the first thing we do every year is we look at what do we need to make our house payment. You know, for, to stay in the house we got, well, we need this much every month. Gasoline for the cars. Well, uh, how much is it now? Well, 319 a gallon, we just run the numbers. What's it supposed to do this year? Go up about 30%. Well, punch those numbers in. How much gas will it take if we go everywhere we went this year? You know, you got uh, two kids in college. What's that taking? <laughs> oh, Father, thank you, Jesus. What else has happened? Well, we got a wedding. Oh, punch that in. Praise God. I hope they elope. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I don't really mean that because my wife would hate me. No, let's have a big wedding. And so uh, you were supposed to be there. You didn't get your, your dad showed up. I said, where's your son at? Well, he didn't get an invitation. I thought, help me, Jesus. <laughs> it about ruined the wedding. It really did. God, what's he think of me? Anyhow, you, you had an invitation. Anyhow, it came late. It came real late. Yes. Anyhow, great wedding. Great wedding, big, big mountain wedding. So, so anyhow, we sit down, what's coming up this year? And we'll run a number, okay? To live just like we did last year with no improvement, here's the number. Well, we need some improvement. We've got to replace a truck. We've got to replace, a, you know, a, an air conditioner. We're going to have to replace some tires on two cars. We're going to have to, you know, we've got a wedding. We got, there's some, okay, let's run that. And then let's add about 12% buffer on top of what we think we're going to need or want to do. We want to go on a vacation. We'd like to go, you know, take the kids somewhere. Well, what would that cost? And we run numbers. Now, we don't have that money. This is the money we need. Do you understand? This year, I need this amount of money every month, every week to do these things. What do I know? There's a devil that wants to steal and kill and destroy everything I need, which means I better be prayed up every morning. The Word of God better be a priority in my life. I better be seeking first the kingdom of God that all things might be added unto me. I got to do what I'm required to do to punch that devil in the face and get him off of me. I got to start getting real thankful. So it's not something that makes me religious. That's something I need to do. God, you inhabit praise, and I'm going to gum flap you when I get up. Bad breath and all, you're going to get some gum flap out of me. I pray in the Holy Ghost more than you can imagine. I, I still sing along with things on the radio. I can turn anything on and sing in tongues with it. I am um, <laughs> driving these nuts. I realized something. If I don't start practicing this, it won't work. So Denise and I, every year, what do we need this year? What are we doing? What's going on? This, I believe this is what's happening. And then every week we adjust it. How do we do this week? Did real good. Well, praise God. How do we do this week? Not too good. Not good. Okay, we've got to beef up some stuff, make some adjustments here. So instead of getting in a hole so far you can't recover, we're measuring. Now, you know a standard industrial budget is a 13-week budget. We look at 13 weeks. What was the production? What was the cost? Because you can have high days and low days. But what was it over a quarter? We're looking at a 13. Well, listen, how was it this quarter? That's what you really make determinations off. And we look at, okay, I see that. Okay, well, we need to adjust that, kick up a prayer life. I thought I'd been praying, but we're going to have to spend some intercessory prayer time. We're going to have to do a little fasting and praying because we've got something big hanging on to something. Some things, Jesus said, some things only happen with prayer and fasting. But if you're not monitoring it, it can get deep so fast, you don't, you're not fasting, you're just starving to death. That's different than fasting when there's no food. It's a thought. So we sit down, we lay it all out, and then I try to teach my kids, what do you want in life? And so we come back to this. Well, this is what we need. We have a budget. Okay, what would we like to do? You know, I turned 60 this year, and I like being 60. I like it better than being 50. I like 50, but I like 60 a lot better. I'm smarter now than I was when I was 50. I'm excited about my future. 
I got bigger plans now than I had when I was 50. They get real big. So I got things I'm praying for. God's real stinking big God, and I got a big list. And we're getting aggressive. But if you don't start writing stuff down, you'll only think about what's not working. If you don't have a written vision, you're only thinking, dear God, well, dear God, well, dear God, well, dear God. And that's not prayer. So get a budget. The greatest financial miracle you'll ever do is get a budget. People come to me and say, we have trouble financial. Well, let's get a budget. Let's see how much do you actually need. Well, it's, it's, it's just hopeless. No, nothing's hopeless. There's a God in heaven. He can raise the dead, and that's bigger than a budget. So what do you need? We're going to get real specific. God loves to show off. The bigger the need, the more he's likely to show up. But we need to get very detailed and specific. Now, I'm going to give you three scriptures here, and it's real basic. Joshua 1.8, God told Joshua, if you'll meditate my word day and night, Continually say what I tell you to say, then you'll prosper and have good success. Well, I love prosperity and good success. I've had the other kind. I want to. Then what I need to do? I need to meditate in the Word day and night. I don't care what you get. Just use your own Bible and read a proverb a day. That's the greatest thing you'll ever do. Get you a one-year Bible. I've got one of those. New Living Translation. I got that. I read that. Why? Because in case I'm busy or whatever, I've got to make myself read this. You, know, you learn every day. Sometimes I just read it, didn't get a thing out of it. Now I'm a minister. Denise, what'd you learn? What'd you read today? I was in, I was in Zechariah chapter 2. What'd you learn? I'm glad I didn't live back then. <laughs> it's not too deep, but that's what I got. Whoa, thank God for the new covenant. Then some days I get so much out of it, it's like it's an encyclopedia because there's just things that happen. But every day you've got to start feeding on this. 3 John 2, 3 John 2, beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. So my pocketbook, the cash in my pocket, is tied to one thing. It's tied to what I believe. My bank account is a reflection of my soul. I will say it real slow. My bank account is a reflection of my soul. May I prosper and be in health as my soul. My job, Joshua, is to feed my soul the Word of God so I think God's thoughts and I expect God's ways. It is the fight of faith. What are we fighting? Faith. We're fighting for faith. The Bible talks about great faith, little faith, weak faith, no faith. Faith is like a water level. It's moving all the time. you got to reload, build your faith back up, build up yourselves in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Ghost, it said in Jude. There's things you got to do on a regular basis to maintain this. I love Denise. We're, we've got a plan now. And we're talking better to one another, even though we still get intense. We do have a budget. This year, we're believing God for this. Let's all get it on the board so we all believe it together. So I have a number. If you come to my office, not my main office, you come into my individual office in my office complex, that number's on the wall. What do you believe for this year? That number. Well, that's, that's a lot more than last year because we're doing a lot more this year. There's a bigger need. We've got more stuff to do. God said we're doing this. It's going to take that number to make it happen. I'm just going to say God said to do this. That's the number that's going to make that happen. And that's what we're shooting for. It's not what you're shooting for. It's what I'm shooting for. You may need a whole lot more than I do. What did God tell you to do? You need a number to make that happen. If I don't take care of my family, I'm worse than an infidel, 1 Timothy 5. I'm like somebody that's denied the faith. Well, I need to take care of my family. So I need a certain number. What's going to take to take care of my family? This number. I need this number this year. Like I said, I got a wedding in May, and I'm just so excited about it. Praise God. Why? Well, because I want my kids to hug my neck when I'm real old. Daddy, thank you for that great wedding. 
No problem. <laughs> I don't want to hear, well, your daddy griped about it the whole stinking time. Every time I wrote a check, he griped. And I had that on my first wedding when I paid for Sarah's wedding. I, never, I still can't get away from it. Her husband passed away three years after the marriage, and I'm still, I'm still from hell itself. Great wedding. We had a three-piece orchestra. We had 12 tuxedoed waiters. We had food you couldn't imagine, and I got nothing. I didn't even get no stinking cake. It was gone because I'm too busy doing the daddy stuff. So I'm sitting on the curb after that many, 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 many dollar wedding. On the curb outside the church after everybody's gone, limos left, I'm sitting there with a plastic box of leftover salad. I watched them take those magnificent flowers that my daughter wanted and carry them to the dumpster. Didn't even offer if I'd like to take them home and stare at them for a couple of days. They were in the dumpster. And I'm sitting there with my wife, 1130 at night, in front of my church. Beautiful place, church on the move. I'm just sitting there in my suit with a plastic box of salad. And all I could think was, I got no cake. I didn't even get a piece of cake. Now, I did eat a couple little barbecued weenies with my fingers. I didn't even get a plate to put them on. I'm too busy, you know, hey, and hey, shatawala, hey, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Tessa's wedding, I had my own plate prepared ahead of time, and it was guarded. Yeah, I'm not making that up. But I sat down and they served me. Shonda. So, Denise, I sit down, we write out, this is what we need to do this year because I realize I got to get my soul involved. Now, I love Ecclesiastes. This is my favorite scripture on finance in the Bible. Ecclesiastes, it's a great, 5, verse 19 and 20. Here's what it says, Ecclesiastes 5, 19 and 20. It is a good thing to receive wealth from God. This is the New Living Translation. And the good health to enjoy. To enjoy your work and accept your lot or calling in life, this is indeed a gift from God. Now, what's a, what's a gift from God? Well, wealth and health. Third John 2, Joshua 1a. What's a good thing? What's a good thing to get from God? Wealth and health and enjoying it and what it is you've been called and gifted to do, whether you're an electrician, a plumber, a preacher, a lawyer, doesn't matter. What are you called to do? That You ought to enjoy that. You should never hate going to work. Never. Work is a four-letter word, but it's not a cuss word. The Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. Work's from God. It's good to labor. So don't ever gripe about working. Now, in America, we sort of mess that thing up with the 40-hour work week. By the way, the Bible says you work six days and rest one, not 40 hours. That messes with Americans. I'm just telling you, the more you work, the more money you make. Just sort of thought about that. And you don't make a God out of it. There's a time to work, time to play, time to rest, time to sleep. But I don't know how many times 40-hour week jobs when I worked in three different companies. Like, you know, we're going to come late and leave early and take a long lunch break and sit in the bathroom as long as we can. My daddy would tell stories about Minute DuPont, how all Sunday afternoon they'd eat cheese sandwiches, grilled cheese, and cheese and crackers. Why? Stop them up. I'm not making this up. <laughs> so they'd have to go to the toilet during work and sit there a long time because your balance don't move good when you're full of cheese. <laughs> Isn't that gross? <laughs> this is a survey from last year. 3,400 people, not everybody, but a pretty good branch. Here's what they found out. 
72% of Americans believe that business in America has gained too much power. One third of America thinks business is too powerful. Prior to 1967, there was not one sitcom or one TV program that ever bashed businesses. Businesses were the white hat guys. They were the good guys. 863 episodes were studied last year of sitcoms, comedies, and movies on television. Less than 1% presented any businessman as a good guy. 99% presented businessmen as bad guys. That's why we're going we're to protest Wall Street. We're going to grab us a tent and a sign, and we're going to protest those filthy, stinking, rich people. What's wrong with America? Rich people. Bad. That's funny. I thought everybody was trying to make money. But we've come up in a generation that we're sitting here tonight where we hate rich people. Look at that stinking house. Who needs a house that stinking big? It is just wrong. That's wrong. Who would drive something? That's just wrong. So many poor people. That's a Judas thing, you know, Lord. We need to don't be breaking that expensive stuff over Jesus' feet. We can sell that and give it to the poor. And Jesus made a funny statement or something like, you know, where the poor you have with you always. I, I don't know what it means, but you might want to read it. I grew up poor. Poverty stinks. Poverty stinks. Ah, Denise hates it when I tell it. But just Log cabin, Turtle Town, Tennessee, right behind Nicholson store, still sits there to this day. Now, it's sagging a lot, but it's a little log cabin. We had no running water. The well was outside, and the outhouse was sitting over the creek out back. And I realized something. We hated rich people. Why are we poor? Because the rich people have all the money. Why we support? Because all the rich people that own the mines make all the money. They go out to the tennis courts and they got their own swimming pool. We go out to Lulu Lake in the mud, but they got their own swimming pool. Stinking rich swimming pool people. You ought to go burn the mines down, cut their tires, and egg their house. Stinking rich people. And that's what most Americans believe tonight. What's your problem? Rich people have all the money. We can go get it back from them. Let me tell you something. Survey's been done for years. Books have been written on If you took all the money away from all the rich people tonight and gave it to all the poor people, three years from now, the rich people will have it back. Hand of the diligence made rich, not the hand of the lazy. Anybody I've read that got rich didn't get it rich accidentally. They worked real hard to get there. Bill Gates. I told it back in August, told it two years ago. Bill Gates uh, met with some billionaires in New York three years ago trying to get them to give away half their wealth. Bill Gates made $40 billion, gave away 20. He gave away 20 billion. You know, if you got 40, you can give away 20, not million, 20 billion. What you doing? Fighting AIDS in Africa, people he's never even met, trying to keep them living a long life, drilling wells where there's no good water. You know, rich people do nice things. But we don't believe that because we've been fed the media. Instead of reading our Bible, we watch what Hollywood feeds us. Stinking rich, stinking rich people. When we get rid of the rich people, America will be good. Sure, we'll be communists, be socialist. We already saw what happened to that bunch in Europe. <laughs> you know, it's like crazy. Remember when they raised, remember it's been about five years ago when they were going to raise the work week to 35 hours a week instead of 30 in France? They like to burn the place down in a week. I'm not working no stinking 35 hours a week. That's heathen. <laughs> it's, it's biblical. And all of a sudden, our mind gets messed up. I can't afford to think that way. God says, you don't work, you don't eat, Joe. Well, I plan to work, God. 
Work at what? What I call a gift for you to do. Great. You got a plan? Going to get me one. What do you need? Well, I got a lot of needs. I got me a list right here. If you ever ask me, God, here's my needs right here. If there's anything on this list that doesn't need to be here, I need you to tell me because this is my list right here. Now, look at this. I'll give you these this, this little facts right here. I like this. Making money is hard to do if you believe it's morally, if you believe it's morally wrong. And my family believed making money was morally wrong because we work for the rich people. It's wrong to have that much money. We just need enough for me and Ma, our two kids, us four, no, no more. Well, how are you going to help an orphan when you're broke? How are you going to help a widow when you're broke? How are you going to help poor people when you're broke? We lived in a little old block house on Middle Valley Road. My daddy worked at DuPont and first made $35 a week. Little old four-room block house, poor, flat roof. It's a rent house. And there were some people in a little block house behind us. They were, more, they were worse off than we were. Poor, poor. Poor, poor. But my mom and dad had been in church, and they were starting to learn some stuff. You know, First Baptist Church, Hicks in Tennessee, pastor taught some great stuff. And I remember when I, mom came in right before Christmas, kids, I need you to gather up some of your toys. Now, we didn't have that much of nothing. You know, we had one old bicycle between all of us. You know, it was used, and we got it. It had no fenders on it, but it could ride good. And so we're going to give some stuff to these kids down here. And I remember mom baked some pies and cakes and put together some fried chicken, and we gave half our toys. And I told them, Pam and I was like, what are we doing? Well, they, these people, they don't, their electricity's not even on. They're poor. So daddy's going to go pay for the electricity, and we're going to go leave some boxes of stuff on their back porch. And I remember thinking, I thought, I thought we were poor, but my mom and dad began to change that. No, we used to be poor. We're not poor anymore. And mom would never talk about it. And she said, no, we're, we're blessed. Whatever we need, we're going to get it. And my dad began to change his thinking because of the teaching at church. So he went down the street and bought an old piece of property, an acre and a half, and paid for it over three years. And then he bought another two acres next to that. Now he's got some land, doesn't have a house, but he's buying land, paying for it a little time. Besides, when I'm going into high school, he wants to go back and be an electrician instead of working shift work. And I remember watching my dad and the son, instead of getting a big raise to buying this new house we were going to buy here, I'm going to take a cut and pay, and they're going to send me to electric school for four years. I'm going to become a craftsman, electrician, and I'm going to make great money after four years, but right now it's going to be tight for a while. Well, tight, we're already in a, a four-room or five-room $55-a-month rent house. How tighter can it get? Well, it got real tight, man. We got rid of the nice Oldsmobile and got an older Oldsmobile, you know, this old, I was embarrassed. We go to church, I'd slump down in the back seat. I didn't want anybody to hear coming. If anybody worked on our car, it was us. We had a, we had a big log over two trees in the yard, and we, we had a chain and thing. We, we changed, we fixed the pistons in our own car because we couldn't afford to pay anybody else to do it. We fixed our own muffler. We did, we did our own oil changes. You didn't pay anybody. You did it yourself. We, I never ate out at a restaurant until my senior year in high school. It was my first time to eat in a, in a public facility. I ate at home. Lots of soup and other stuff, and, and mom canned stuff. And we grew stuff in the backyard and green. And, and all of a sudden, I thought, what is, what's this change? And it happens to slow it and recognize it. Pretty soon, my dad bought an old house. It was, uh, it was 97 years old when he bought it. It's over 100, and, gosh, I don't know what it is now, 130 years old now. Gutted the whole thing, remodeled it. At mom's place, her place now is worth about $150,000. Well, dad got it for $17,000. Took him five years to remodel, gut it, re-roof it, redo the room's carpet, redo the panel. Beautiful place now. It's a postcard of a just beautiful white house with the black shutters and beautiful black roof sitting on all the, almost four acres now. And so, but my dad got it for $17,000. But I realized something. It was because his thinking began to change. We're going to get something. We're not going to stay poor and rent the rest of our life. We're going to go do something. And he did. Now, it didn't happen overnight. All of a sudden, I get up here and I get filled with the Holy Ghost. So I start reading my Bible and I realize something like, I got to change my attitude about money. I don't take money to heaven with me. Rich people aren't evil. Rich people help poor people. I've never had a poor person hire me. Poor people don't hire you. Rich people hire you. 
You understand that? You go to start a business and you start asking for something, you're going to need to come up with some cash. Now, here's what I'm going to give you four things. We're going to take these notes, and I'll give you this, and, and uh, let's lay this out right here. This is the four things about family finance, and this is going to help you. <clears throat> Number one, blessed or broke, you've got to work on your attitude. Blessed or broke, Third John 2, I wish above all things you'd prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. I've got, uh, I should have brought them. I have them in my uh, hotel room. I've got three by five cards I still carry with me on finances, on scriptures about abundance and increase and blessing. Why? I came out of poverty. It's a demon that runs in my family, and I've got to whip that thing. Now, most of my family lived to be real old. Most all of them lived real old. Very few people in my family died early, but they were all broke as dirt. Poverty was an old devil trying to chase us down. So we got to whip that rascal. So I made sure we tithe and we give. I don't tithe because I'm religious. I tithe out of sheer necessity. I cannot afford to be broke. I need the windows of heaven to open up. I need God to pour out a blessing. I cannot afford to not tithe. I don't tithe the traveling preachers. I don't tithe the missionaries. My tithe goes to my local church. Now, we can give to missionaries that we support. And there's other ministers we send checks to every month. But my tithe, 10% of my increase, goes to my local church. What are they doing with it? I don't know, and I don't care. That's between them and God. I tithe to my local church. And I'm blessed because of it. My kids, of course, now it's just automatic draft. I don't even have to think about it. <laughs> the churches love that. Did you tithe? I think I did. Or the bank sent it. And, man, it's a whole lot better when the bank sent it because you never forget it. And churches love that, by the way. Number two, financial house cleaning. This is real simple. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. Any enterprise that's built by wise planning becomes strong through common sense and profits wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. You profit by keeping abreast of the facts. Um, I learned it the hard way as an engineer because I was not a good one in the beginning. Numbers are critical. I want to see numbers. Every, I, of course, we've got online banking now, so every morning. Where is it? My kids are in college. They have their own bank card tied to my account. I tell them, you have this much money this week and this month. Don't go over it because I can shut that off at a moment's notice. You're kidding. Oh, no, I'm not kidding. Now, why do you, why, can't we get our own card? No, because you don't have enough credit. You don't have a good job yet. You're in school. But if you spit, I know where you spit. You buy gas, I know where you bought gas. You buy something, I know when you bought Jesus. I know everything you do. I'm like, God, I control your bank card. I love those things, by the way. Anyhow, you need a budget. So the greatest thing you'll ever do is get a budget. Now, it'll depress you when you first get one. I'll try to tell people when you do this. It's going to depress you. You think you're broke? No, you're more broke than you think. Ever, I've never done it. Where it's like, well, dear God, I didn't know we had that money. Every time we've helped a couple, it's like, oh, my God. I knew it was bad, but dear God. I know it's wonderful, isn't it? But I like to think of it this way. You can't hit Goliath if you don't know where he's standing. We have found the bottom of the barrel. It's really deep, and it's still moving down, but we know where it is. Praise God. And it's just good because if you know where the bottom of the barrel is, you'll start praying in faith. Like, God, I better start praying. It'd be a good idea to start praying. Shondai. <laughs> Let's get God involved because the devil's evidently stealing everything. Number three, channels of income. This is your gift. Second Thessalonians 3. Um, everybody's gifted to do something. Uh, everybody. First Peter 4, 10 and 11. Use the gift that I give. If your gift is speaking, speak as of the oracles of God. If it's serving, service ability God gives. I make money by serving other people. The better I serve them, the more money I make. I need to get real good at what I do, whether I'm an electrician, a plumber, or a janitor, a lawyer. I need to get real good at it. Uh, I tell people, if you were called to be an electrician, uh, my dad taught me this. We went and visited our competitors in the evening on the weekend. 
we'd go to their store and stare in the window. What kind of ladder do they use? What kind of pliers do they use? Because they're better than us, they're bigger than us, so what is it they do? Because they're not holier than us. God loves us as much as he loves them. They know something we don't know, and that's how we build our businesses, studying our competitors. Go learn something. So I realized something. I need to get good at something. What is it? So I made all my kids take a test. Uh, Sarah fought us the most, my oldest. Well, I don't know what I want to do. Well, honey, you're going to college. Because nobody in our family went to college, we're going to break that curse. So uh, my older two graduated from Oral Roberts University with degrees. Uh, my middle two graduated from Lee University with degrees. My bottom two, uh, Lauren's getting ready to come to the Laureate School up in uh, Franklin uh, in May. Uh, John's going to Oklahoma State Engineering School. And I said, you're going to college, every one of you. You have no option. And I know if you t- remember telling the story about six large uh, frames, glass frames, double pane glass, nothing in it, and put their names and brass name plates on the bottom and hung them on, covered half the living wall. They're real big. And they came home from school one day and they said, what is that? Are we going to put collage in there? No, no, you're going to put your college degree in there. And of course, John was still in elementary school. And I said, and I remember Jesse said, we're all going to college? Every one of you. Did God tell you that? Nope, mom did. <laughs> Closest thing to God you can get. <laughs> Now, I remember Jessica said, standing in the living room before we had some, well, what if we don't want to go to college? And I had never thought of that when she said it. I thought, uh, uh, well, I guess you don't go to college. That means 20 years from now when you come back to our house for a family reunion, you're going to have to explain to your kids why you're the only doofus with a blank frame. <laughs> because everybody else is going to go. And I don't want you to feel bad 20 years from now. So you're going to go if I have to drag you by the hair of your head. So it took Sarah six years to get a four-year degree. It took Jessica five years to get a four-year degree. It took Corey five years to get a four-year degree. It took Tessa four and a half years to get a four-year degree. Lauren's on track. John's on track. It's taken a while to get it down, but we're on track. I said, getting a degree will not get you a job. Mostly college you're going to learn is a lot of what you don't know. I think what college teaches you is that I'm really dumb. I didn't know I was that dumb. There's just a lot I don't know, because every time you take a test, like, I didn't know that. <laughs> and the grade reflects how much I don't know. Like, gosh, I thought I was smart until I went to college. But they went, and they're doing well, and, uh, and I said, all are going to go because I want you to learn. Whatever you do in life, you're going to have to learn more. And I don't care what degree you get or how big it is, you'll be ever learning. You never stop learning. Whatever job you're in, from electrician to engineer, the technology's moving like a lightning bolt right now. You've got to always be learning. You've got to be humble, willing to learn and ask questions. Those are the people that are valuable in life. So find out what you're good at and get good at it. We'll talk about that some a little bit tomorrow night. And then Deuteronomy 8.18, number four, the power to get wealth. Always remember, it is the Lord your God who gives you the power to become rich. Everybody say rich. rich. Come on, everybody say rich. rich. Say it again. The Bible says in Psalm 112, if I fear the Lord, that wealth and riches will be in my house. Say wealth and riches. Say it again. Wealth and riches. Say it again. One more time. God says wealth and riches will be in our house. He doesn't like poverty. You can't help anybody when you're broke. You don't take anything with you when you leave. You leave it all behind. It's just to serve God and your fellow man while you're here. So I'll do this real quick. Now, this is is the niche of the nasty ones. I'll do this real short because you've got to go to bed here. This is from the U.S. government. Government tracks everybody from the U.S. Census. And these numbers have not changed, believe it or not. Department of Education and Welfare found out for every, by age 65, out of every 100 Americans, by age 65, 36 die. 36 out of 100 Americans will not make it to retirement age. They won't have to worry about retiring. They won't be here. 
That's why you need to believe the Scripture with long life will I satisfy. Number two, 54 out of every 100 Americans by retirement, by age 65, were living on government or family support. All they had was their Social Security check, there's no retirement, or they're living with a family member. Well, that's pretty much everybody. Five out of every 100 Americans by age 65 were still working. That's why Grandma's down at McDonald's with a Garth Brook headphone on at 11 o'clock at night. It's not because she likes Big Macs. She needs the paycheck. Got it? Four were well off. One was wealthy. According to the federal government, only five out of every 100 Americans, only 5% in the United States of America, where last year $26 trillion changed hands, only five out of every 100 Americans will be able to afford to retire. Richest nation on the face of the planet, and only 5% can retire. Well, what happened? What did we do all that money? Well, we wasted a lot of it, didn't manage it, didn't believe God, and didn't increase it. Well, I, don't want to, I want to be in the 5%. Let's just shoot for the top. What do you say? Oh, that's good. I like this one. Uh, you don't want to read this. Poverty is the condition of your soul, not the pocketbook. And that's all the scary scriptures. Again, my bank account reveals my soul. Am I believing God? God said, I'm going to bless everything you set your hand to. You're going to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. I'm going to let your prophecy have good success. Like, well, let's go look at the bank account and see if that scripture's working. Not. I might need to hook up somewhere if that's not so, because that's what God said, and he doesn't lie. So if I don't see blessing, I need to get busy. I need to rebuke a devil, start quoting some scriptures, and get diligent working. It's just real simple. I tell my kids they love me for that. Anyhow, five-folder system. You can get this in any insurance company. They'll give these to you. Organize your paperwork. Know where your bills are. Don't be paying late fees for stuff just because you forgot it. Man, you're giving money to heathens. Don't do that. You, you know that the numbers have kind of changed. It used to be more than this, but uh, 40% of all bank staff's salaries are paid by the late fees of bounce checks. <laughs> what kind of business are you in? I'm bounce check business. Woo! Here's what the questions you want to ask. How much do I own? How much do I owe? How much do I earn? And where does it go? That's called a budget. Where's my stuff at? And this will take some time. You can do it with a piece of paper. But what, how, what do we own? Do we own the house? No, we're still paying on it. Okay, well, we don't own that. Do we own the car? No, we're still paying for it. Well, dear God, we don't own that. Uh, we own the kitchen table? No, we're still paying on it. Dear God, we don't own the kitchen table? I thought your mother gave that to us. No, we got a new one. Do we own the couch? Yeah, that's paid for. Okay, I own a couch. Got me a couch. How about that bed? Uh-huh, and the lumpy mattress that's on it. Okay, I got the bed and the lumpy mattress and a couch. Do we own the dishes? Yep, we do. All right, none of them match, but we own them. Okay, we own the unmatching dishes. Do I own these shoes? Yep, we own those. No, got those on the credit card. Still paying off. Okay, don't own the shoes. Son of a gun. You start writing down how much you're worth. The average American, if they sold everything they own, according to the last census, the average American owes a total of $5,000 worth of stuff. If you sold your cars, your house, your tractors, your boats, whatever you own, if you sold it in your average, you'll be sitting on the curb with $5,000 in your pocket. What are you worth? $5,000. But I'm really not worth that because we're really in debt and I owe the government that. So we're just going to sit here and wait for the food wagon. I don't know why this is crazy. Woo, have mercy. This is scary stuff. You shouldn't do this late at night, but we are. Here's the five steps to financial security in every great seminar. You're going to hear it. Please, please do the Ramsey. Please come to the financial seminar. Please. You're, you'll, hug, you'll hug pastor's neck in December. 
I know you're, I know you're busy. Everybody's busy, people, but you need money. You need a chunk of it. You've got to learn how it works because your faith will start kicking in with it. Faith and works go together. Got to keep good records. You need to tithe and give. You need to save for the future. Even an ant lays up stuff for the winter. Plan your spending budget and enjoy what you have. Quick grab. Stinking house. Don't ever say that. Man, I remember we lived in that apartment. And I went to my first financial seminar down in Tennessee, Georgia, Christian camp. I came back. I got the Wesson oil. I anointed everything in my house. I greased the door. I greased that couch that I bought at Hickson Furniture that we wore at. It was cheap when I got it. It looked cheap after we sat on it for a, a month. My mattress has got lumps in it because I bought a cheap mattress. This, there's two, it's just humpy. You can't sleep in the middle. You can't sleep across it because it's thumpy and just sagged. <laughs> My dryer door won't stay shut unless I put duct tape on it because I bought a cheap dryer. <clears throat> so before I go to work anymore, I tear off five or six pieces of duct tape, put them above the dryer so when Denise dried clothes, every time she put a load in, she'd get a new piece of duct tape and tape. Oh, it was, the time we saw that dryer, it was just caked up. What is that? Well, that's, that's the back of duct tape that's kind of caked up where we have to shut the door so it doesn't fly open. I remember eating chicken livers because we couldn't afford anything. We had a good time. It was a, a PBS channel on, John Wayne movie on Friday night. We were broke. So we went down to the grocery store for $2.23. We bought a thing of chicken livers. And of course, we have a Betty Crocker deep fryer with full of pork grease. So we just rolled them in some flour, put them in the Betty Crocker pork grease, and fried them up. And we did have a half a bottle of ketchup. And we sat down and watched John Wayne with fried chicken livers and ketchup. Man, this is good. Whew. It was. I still like chicken livers. Anyhow. Financial mistakes, I'm just going to read them, all the scriptures here, but let me just read them. Co-signing a note, Proverbs says don't do that. Not being generous, bad thing to do. Gambling, just plain stupid. We're building our third big casino in Tulsa. We got two massive ones. Beautiful. My gosh, you can see them coming in Tulsa. My God, what's that? Well, you used to see the city of faith, you know, but you can't see it anymore because we got two big casinos now. Massive things. And we're building a third one. Wow. Well, those are people gambling their money away. <laughs> That's why they can afford to do that. Every morning at 6 a.m., you can go to any of the big casinos owned by the Creek Indians. Free biscuits and gravy at 6 a.m. Free. Pork her out. Biscuits and gravy. Free. At the big casino. Watch out. I got no more quarters. Get me some more biscuits, would you? Because I'm out of. It's sad. Parking lot on Wednesday night is packed at casino and not packed at church. Trying to get rich quick. That's in here also. Lack of self-resistance, don't buy it. <laughs> Arrogance, debt, bribing, not having a budget, getting rich quick. Greed and ignoring the poor will make you broke. God's got a lot to say about all those. So, got to know what those are. It's like the seven things God hates. Don't do them. Just write them down. Ten statements to avoid, and they do this all the time. I still get tickled. I think, are we that dumb? No money down. No payments for 12 months. I'm like, my God, they're giving that stuff away. Let's go get some of that. No, no money down and no payments, but they're draw, you're paying in, they're drawing interest of 12 months. You just don't have to pay it. That couch costs you three times more than you thought. Toll-free operator standing by. Wow, we just love you, and we're just paying them just for nothing. You don't even have to pay. They're just sitting here in the phone booth waiting for you to call. Toll-free. <laughs> ring, ring. <laughs> call on down. <laughs> you're pre-approved for a credit card. My kids get these in college. Uh, we added up a... Um, Tessa just graduated, got over $34,000 worth of credit cards. Now, we didn't take any of them, but she could have got $34,000 in debt just by signing for the car. She don't, she don't have a job. She's in college. We can get you $34,000 in debt, bless your ever-loving heart. So we love you. We want to help you get in debt. 
Bad credit, no credit, bankruptcy, no problem. We can put you in a car today. And my daughter works as an accountant at a big car dealership, and they do. <laughs> you know what the maximum interest is? 27%. Some people will drive off of a car tomorrow paying 27%. 27. 27. If that was a stock, I'd buy a lot of it. 27. That's incredible. Send no money now. Why? Well, because you're a doofus, and we know it, and you don't. But send no money now. We'll get it later. Top Congratulations. You won a free gift. My God, you're kidding. What did I win? Nothing. These are the top five reasons the leading cause of death in the United States. Here they are in order. Heart disease, number one. Diabetes, number two. Cancer, number three. Strokes, number four. From high blood pressure and AIDS. Each of these diseases is related to diet. I'll have two more cinnamon rolls and one apple fritter. And four buckets of chocolate ice cream. <laughs> Bring some syrup to that. And we'll take some whipped cream. My God, I'm feeling good. You got any chocolate pie? I love to eat. My mom was a great cook. I put on 54 pounds the first year I was married. I won't tell you how big I got two years ago, but it was big. I mean, most people here would not understand, won't tell me, but the pastor tell me because he loves me. I'm getting kind of big. You love me, don't you? <laughs> Habits to avoid. Immorality, why? Well, don't commit fornication, why? Strangers will feast on your wealth. Gambling through wickedness, why? Well, the wicked will get all your money. Troubling your family, what happens? You won't have anything worthwhile left over. Refusing correction, if you refuse criticism, it leads to poverty. Ignoring the poor, it will lead to poverty. Loving pleasure or wine, you will become poor. Drunkenness overeating, you will end up in poverty. Covering your sins, you end up in poverty. And laziness, you end up in poverty. Those are all the scriptures, you can look them up. And so it's like, I gotta make sure I'm doing right. Three things to study, number one, banking. Know how your bank works. 34% of the time, there'll be a mistake on your bank statement. Balance your checkbook when it comes every month. Balance it out. Because one-third of the time, there's a mistake. If it's to your favor, they'll find it eventually. You know, they'll take it out, just so you know. Wills and trust, whew, have mercy, there's a nasty one. Get it in writing. Because, boy, I'll tell you right now, as a minister, been in the ministry for 30 years, worst fights I ever saw was not in the Army, wasn't at bars when I was young. Worst fights I've ever seen is at a funeral. The worst fights I've ever seen is at a funeral. Hell comes out of the funeral. People don't care who died. They just want to know what they left. When my Aunt Ella went to heaven, <laughs> she's a sweet old guy. Lived in a little old two-room, just old house. No electricity. Had a little potbelly stove in there. She died, and her relatives came down from Illinois to the Mine City Baptist Church. The place was packed out. Everybody knew my Aunt Ella. She lived, I think she was 94 when she died. We're all down there at the Mine City Baptist Church at the funeral. And we're singing songs and people talking about her. And... Uh, the city policeman, Ducktown, came in and, and got my dad and took him outside. And I didn't know what was going on at the time. Dad came in and got three of his uncles, and they went back out. I thought, where are they going? We're at a funeral. Well, come to find out, the cousins from Illinois, her relatives, while we were at the funeral, went to her old skanky house because she had some old, ancient, expensive, just, you know, framed pictures hanging in her house. And the house was stacked up with papers and blankets and wood. It was just a mess. But there were some old, expensive paintings hanging on the wall. And they took them all down, put them in the thing and took her, uh, her pedal singer sewing machine that was antique and took her old wood star fireplace that was antique, disconnected from the flu. So it'll be short things, cute. I put it in the station wagon and they were headed back to Illinois. And so my dad went out because our cousin's a judge down in, 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 in Benton, Tennessee. So it's good to have relatives. So we called him and, and they picked him up at the county line and arrested him. <laughs> so we're coming out of the funeral and there come the state police. Woo, whoa, 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 whoa. My God, what's the police doing here? Well, it's our cousins. 
Oh, they brought our cousins to the funeral. <laughs> I'm not making that up. You want know to kind of impress like, what, what, what are they? They arrested them? Yeah, they stole your damn stuff while we were at the funeral. <laughs> you realize money's thicker than blood. I had a pastor friend of mine, had four brothers, and they were having a funeral up in Princeton, Minnesota, and I was up there, and fist fight broke out at the graveside service. Fist fight. One guy fell in a hole. And these were the sons. <laughs> Anyhow. So study banking wills and trust, retirement planning, get it in writing so nobody can fight. By the way, your will is your will, it's not your children's will. Let me say that again. Your will is your will, not your children's will. This is not a, this is not a menu at a restaurant. Well, what would you like? I'll tell you what you're getting. It's quiet when I say that every time. It's not your will. Get you a will. <laughs> this is my will. <laughs> Might leave it to the kid down the street. Who knows? Quiet. I feel it. I can feel it right now. Oh, dear God, we better check that out. <laughs> Yearly earnings by education. You don't want to read that. That's depressing. The more you know, the more you make. And I'll close these like here. You want to grow financially? Here's what we learn. We learn 10% from what we read, 20% from what we hear, 30% from what we see, 50% from what we hear and see, 70% from what we discuss with others, 80% from what we personally experience, and 90% from what we teach others. You want to learn something, you got to do it. You want to learn something, you got to do it. you got to get yourself aggressive. Then John Wesley said this. This is a good one. John Wesley, great methods. Make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. That's a good lesson. Let's stand up. God wants you blessed, but he won't make you. All of you are gifted to do something. I don't care if you don't know what it is. The gift is still in you. The gifts and callings of God without repentance, the Bible says. More people than you can imagine have failed financially and got back up. I don't care where you are tonight, there is a way out. I don't care how bad your debt is, there's a way out. I don't care what your job situation is, there's a great job for you, or God lied. So you got to watch it. You don't get, because your mouth will get to running. I'm done. Well, dear God, we're never going to have any money. We're going to be broke all of our life. And, I, and buddy, it got bad for Denise and I. We were in Chattanooga, it got bad. Because I, man, if I remember that crazy Methodist got us that Bible study, we'd have never made it. My marriage wouldn't have made it. Because it got bad. Mentally, physically, emotionally, and financially. We realized we got to change this. We got to change this. And I realized that even as we begin to grow, the devil still would attack. You're never immune from the tests and trials of life. You can live a perfect life. Jesus was perfect, never sinned. The devil made a run at him all the time. They tried to shove him off a cliff, rip a hair. Just because you're doing right doesn't mean you won't get attacked. So don't get, well, what do we do wrong? Maybe nothing. Just get in the Word of God and let's start moving again. So I'll leave you with this. Look at this right here. Albert Einstein was four years old before he could speak and seven before he could read. They thought Albert Einstein was mentally retarded. Four years old. He hadn't said a word. What's wrong? He's, he's retarded. He can't talk. Well, he can talk. Well, he can't read nothing because he's stupid. And he never did learn to comb his hair. <laughs> Isaac Newton. You remember Isaac Newton? Did real bad grade school. Beethoven's music teacher told him as a 10-year-old, as a composer, you're absolutely hopeless. We don't remember the teacher's name. Thomas Edison's elementary teacher told him when he was 12 years old that he was too stupid to learn anything. <laughs> Woo! F.W. Woolworth, the first Walmart, got a job at a dry goods store when he was 21. The employers wouldn't let him wait on any customers because they said he didn't have enough sense, and eight years later he bought them out. Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor at age 21 because he said he had no creative ideas. I'm not making these up. These are in your local library. 
Leo Tolstoy flunked out of college. Werner von Braun, you know, rockets, flunked ninth grade algebra twice. <laughs> uh, don't ever build nothing. <laughs> How about that? Oh, okay. Admiral Richard E. Byrd was drummed out of the Navy's unfit for service, and when he got fired from the Navy, he flew over both the North and South Poles and rechartered them, and the Navy took him back. Robert Frost, for 20 years, they asked Robert Frost, what are you? He said, I'm a poet. Really? You make money at that? Mm -mm. How long have you been a poet? 19 years. Well, how many poems you had published? None. Well, you're a what now? I'm a poet. How long have you been one? 19 years. How many poems you had published? None. I'd get, a, I'd get a lot. That's real stupid. Well, the 20th year, he had one published. Then he had another one published. Then he had a bunch of them published. He won four Pulitzer Prizes. You don't blossom overnight, people. I don't care what you've tried and failed. Get back up. I don't care what you've tried. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I'm going to be the head, not the tail. Look at this. Alexander Graham Bell was a failure for most of his life. They wrote skanky stuff in papers about it. You want to invent what? A phone. Well, that's just stupid. Oh, you ought to read it. It was nasty. You can go to the library where nasty stuff they said about him, but it turned out good. Nobody's laughing at Bell today. By the way, I own stock in AT&T. <laughs> it's running good. Anyhow. Louis Pasteur was rated as mediocre in chemistry when he attended the Royal College. Winston Churchill flunked the sixth grade. Alexander, uh, Abraham Lincoln entered the Black Hawk War as a captain, came out as a private because they thought he was too stupid. I told you he ran for office 16 times, didn't get elected until he ran for president. Dr. Seuss was rejected by 27 publishers on his first book. He said they made fun of him for two years. I tried to get a pub. Now, he is already very successful in business, very successful. He had money. He thought, I think I'm a children's author. I think I got an idea for children's books. He went to 27 publishers in two and a half years. Hey, we think about this. He said, everyone's, that's the dumbest thing we ever read. Dear God, that's just stupid. Doesn't even make any sense. Don't quit your day job, son. <laughs> 28 publishers told him, said, you know, that might be just dumb enough to sell. And six million copies of Green Eggs and Ham later, he was a household word. He, he was rejected 27 times. You ever read the book, uh, What Colors Your Parachute, about getting a job? It's a great book. They'll tell you you need to fill out 100 applications before you get three good offers. Now, my kids, I remember Jessica came back. I've filled out seven applications and nobody's hiring. What? What? And I went and got the parachute book. Read this tonight. And she kept, 100? Yeah, and you only got seven. You got 93 to go. Uh, I think it was the 24th when they hired and got her the real good job. Anyhow, Procter & Gamble, you know the story about them. Their father-in-law hired them to make soap and do stuff. And, of course, you know, the soap machine overflowed one day and flooded the factory. And nobody would tell Mr. Procter and Mr. Gamble, who were Christians, by the way, and paid tithe. And they didn't tell them that the machines had overflowed and flooded the plant. They cleaned it up before they got back. Well, it had bubbled the soap up. And they were doing good with the soap and candle business. All of a sudden, six weeks later, a letter started pouring into Procter & Gamble. What did you do to the soap? What? Or something happened to the soap. What's wrong with it? Is it not working? Well, it works, but it's just different. What's wrong with it? It floats. It floats. Your soap floats. Well, no soap floats. You put any bar of soap in the tub, it's going to the bottom. Well, back then in Procter & Gamble's day, only 8% of the homes in America had a bathtub. So most people washed in the pond or in the creek. It would be nice if your soap floated. Well, the reason it floated was 
when they bubbled the machine over, it put tiny air bubbles in the stuff. And they didn't know it. They let the thing foam down and they retest it. Well, it looks good. Still got soap in it. They didn't see the microscopic bubble, so it floated. They became a billion-dollar company when ivory soap would float. It was an accident. <laughs> I like that. WD-40, you know that story. Guy, rocket chemical down in Houston, Texas. Howard Hughes, the billionaire guy, ordered some Voltaire 880 aircraft from General Dynamics in San Diego, made a big down payment. They built the planes. They're going to deliver them to him in Las Vegas. He all said, because he's crazy, you know, he's losing his mind. Then he said, he called him, I, just, I changed my mind. I don't want them. I mean, you don't want them. You've already made a down payment. We got a contract. You owe us money. You only paid a third of them. You owe us two thirds. I don't want them. Sue me. It's a true story. And so they sued him, tied him up in court. Well, the problem is the, the, the place is packed with the Voltaire 880 aircraft, really expensive, and there's no room to store them. They were building them, and they're out on the tarmac. They're going to deliver them. Well, winter's coming, and that salt air is going to come in, and that salt air is going to make those planes rust. There's not enough stuff to cover them up because that salt air will go through anything. Well, they panicked, and they called this Rocket Chemical in Houston, pre-NASA. Three guys that worked at Rocket Chemical, chemists. Hey, can you make a lubricant so lightweight it'll go into the microscopic pores of this aircraft and force that salt water out? Sure. Well, they did it, and it didn't work. It didn't work. You got it. That's a lot of stuff we ever made. We'll make you another batch. Over a year, they made 40 batches, 40 tries, 39 failures. That didn't work. That didn't work. They're going broke at Rocket Chemical. General Dynamics is going to go broke with those aircraft. By God, you got to get us some. The 40th batch worked. It worked. Thank God. It forced the salt water out of the microscopic pores of the exposed metal in the aircraft. We'll take two truckloads of it. And so they sent it. And so on the invoice, they typed up, it was a number because these are chemists. What is it? Well, it's XY 7847 Well, the guy that's the accountant at General Dynamics said, no, I can't write a check for a number. What is it? And the guy said, we wrote, well, it's a water displacement. Well, then call it that. No, well, there's lots of water displacements. Well, give it some because I can't write a check for a number. What am I writing this check for? Well, they call it water displacement, and again, it was a lot of numbers, 4087, and I forgot what it was. And the, the secretary, not she's typing it up, and it wouldn't go on because this is typewriter time. It won't fit. So finally, she just, water displacement dash 408, water displacement for it. Oh. So finally, she just shortened it up, WD dash 40. And that's where WD-40 came from. 39 failures. WD-40, three out of four American homes have at least one can in it. They had a really good Christmas this year. It was an accident. People, I don't care how many failures you got in your life. I don't care what you've been rejected. I don't care if they cut you back at work. I don't care if transmission's leaking. Welcome to planet Earth. There's a God in heaven who promised you to meet your needs. All you need to do is get a piece of paper and write them down. God, you said you supply my needs. I need this this year. I need my income to go up. I need my transmission fixed. I need a new roof on my house. My kid's got two broken tooth. We've got to get replaced. I need some braces on Junior because he looks like a circus thing when he opens his mouth. We need some braces on his teeth. God, I need some stuff and it's going to choke a horse. And start thanking God and watch God move. And God starts moving like that financially, y'all be in the bedroom sucking lips off each other's face which is what we'll talk about tomorrow night, so bow your heads. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. Lord, take blindness from our minds and lighten the eyes of understanding. Lord, if we are blinded financially, if there is a spirit of poverty in Jesus' name, I plead the blood of Jesus over every individual tonight, over their minds and their consciousness. Lord, I pray you purge them from dead works. You enlighten the eyes of the understanding. You draw them out of their goodness. Father, I thank you for showing them hope for the future, Lord. They are blessed 
blessed. They are highly favored. Everything they set their hand to prospers. You talk to them when they go to sleep and they wake up. You're going to give these people witty inventions of the Holy Ghost. This is going to be a year of redemption. This is going to be a year where things are going to get in order and there's going to be increase. And I rebuke any spirit of poverty or in any family here tonight, Father. We are redeemed from the curse of the law, which is poverty. We are blessed and highly favored. And tonight we say thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap, would you?